Welcome to Being a Successful Leader with Carl Welty. Carl is a leadership pioneer with years of challenging leadership and consulting experience. Here's Carl with some valuable insights, practical and proven methods for being a successful leader. Greetings, uh, Carl Welty here. First of our series, our podcast series of uh, being a successful leader. Uh, we have uh, 26 uh, episodes divided into three uh, what I call areas of emphasis, uh, uh, which revolve around three imperatives I see as the uh, key of being a successful leader. The first one is being a skillful, self-aware leader. That's the uh, area we're in right now. The second is formulating, executing a sound strategy. And the third is building a culture of commitment. So skillful, self-aware leader, sound strategy, and culture of commitment. Uh, each uh, episode runs from about 15 to 30 minutes. Um, and to pick up past episodes, uh, you can go to my website, wealthy.com, click on uh, Leadership Resources, and scroll down. You'll see a, a place there where you can click to get the uh, past episodes of the podcast. Today is the final of the uh, uh, nine episodes we have under the imperative of skilled self-aware leader. Uh, we've done a lot here. Uh, we spent the first part uh, trying to help you uh, deal with the subconscious priorities, preferences, and tendencies you have and surface those so you're just more aware, more cognizant of uh, those kinds of tendencies and consequently can benefit. Um, and then we looked at three uh, skill areas. So you could be a skillful as well as self-aware leader. One was self-reception to sharpen your skills. The other is communicating skillfully and uh, different about differences. And the last one was um, using an adaptive as well as a uh, natural behavior. So there was a lot covered there. And uh, my guess is that maybe you have an idea or two in terms of uh, behavioral change you'd like to make personally. And so I thought I'd time me again to have uh, this series or this episode deal with a very, very sound process I have uh, to think through and to take prudent action to make these shifts, these behavioral shifts. When it's something more than just having a good intention, uh, you got to uh, go with some quality thinking and some uh, uh, actions to make it happen. So we're going to run through this process of uh, uh, nine steps. And what I'd like you to do is to uh, uh, get a piece of paper and just jot down one to nine and maybe maybe uh, uh, just put down the title of each of these steps and maybe a few notes and uh, then come back to it later or replay this episode or go back, uh, as I said, to my website later and, and pick it up. Now, before we get in going with that, uh, throughout the podcast, I've been emphasizing two uh, uh, commitments uh, that I think every leader, every person actually uh, should make. One is having a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. And the second is uh, continuous learning and growth to commit to those. And it, certainly this process helps us uh, do both of those, especially when there's something that we want to do to move from point A to point B. As we work through the process, it's important to uh, understand, I call this the principle of the current me. It's kind of an odd title, but I can't think of a better one. The principle of the current me, uh, that you and I are a product of a couple of things. And this ties back to what we've talked about in this uh, particular area of emphasis. 
One is that it's the way I think about things, my mental models. And the other is the uh, practices I engage in. So if we want to make uh, behavioral change, we've got to change one or both of those. We've got to change the way we think about things, and we've got to change the way we go about things, our practices. Um, so that, that becomes uh, important. Um, the uh, model, as we work through it, it uh, be helpful if you had a, a particular behavioral change in mind you'd like to make. Not necessary. Uh, you're not going to have a lot of time to work on it as we go through the model, but uh, at later on, maybe pick it up uh, and uh, proceed or go back to it later. And if you don't have any particular behavior change at this time you'd like to make, that's fine. But be sure to uh, put the uh, process in safe storage or go back to it later on because it'll be helpful uh, to you very, very much so. Uh, as we go through the process, I'll be using an example. Let's call this uh, person Harvey, and uh, we'll we'll talk about Harvey and how he is thinking about and working through these steps. I also have an earlier edition of the uh, process we're going through in two of my books: the book on fulfilling, making and fulfilling your dreams as a leader, and communicating about differences. They're in appendix form. Uh, this is a really an update of of, of that as my thinking has uh, advanced as I've applied the model even more. Okay, all right. Let's go through the steps now. Maybe get a piece of paper to step one to nine, and uh, maybe just dot down the title and a note or two if you want. All right. Logical place to start is with the goal. Uh, the goal is uh, step one. What is the behavioral change I am committed to make? Okay, uh, and summarize in a, in a well-worded uh, sentence. Okay, so that's a, a predictable start. Uh, now, Harvey, our, our hypothetical Harvey here, Harvey is committed to being uh, less directive and more collaborative and delegative in working with his leadership team. That's his goal or his commitment. The second step of the nine is importance. Why is this important? What would happen if I did nothing, if I just left it alone? That's important questions to ponder. Now, Harvey thinks about that and he says, based on pushback he received from his leadership team and his own thinking, he thinks it's time to make a, a be a more inclusive, more interactive leader with his leadership team as situational variables allow him to do so and, and dictate. Uh, and he thinks he'll get better results this way and provide a healthier working environment. So that's why Harvey thinks it's important to make this behavioral shift. Number three of the nine, previous attempts. What, if anything, have I tried? How did it go? What, if anything, have I learned? And how might that be useful to me now? As Harvey reflects, he has not really made any conscious efforts to shift his leader-manager uh, behavior up until now, but, but, but is motivated to, to get going with the shift at this point. Number four step of our process out of the nine is measures of success. How do we, how do you know a success when you see it? What are the specific evidences that you will tell, that'll tell you that I have achieved the goal? Articulate the measures of success in a series of what I call win statements, uh, that represent evidence of success. Uh, when A happens, when B happens, when C happens, these are results, not activities, results. And she was, if you're around that, you'd say, hey, I think I've uh, hit the ball pretty good here. <clears throat> now, Harvey 
he he went through this process of measures of success, and he uh, he has three: a greater staff involvement in problem solving and decision making. Uh, the second one is a better quality problem solving and decision making by involving his group more. And the third one is easier implementation of decisions. Those are bottom line payoffs he hopes to get. And if he gets them, he say, hey, I think this is working pretty good as he makes this shift to a more inclusive style of uh, leadership and management. Number five, the value. What is the value of achieving this goal? You know, what, what's the big deal if I achieve this, if I make these measures uh, of success uh, mentioned above? Now, Harvey thinks about it. He thinks staff development is, is, is valuable. That will occur. Improved communication is a second. A third is improved commitment. And a fourth would be to free up more discretionary time for himself to do higher value added leadership work. So those are pretty big payoffs that up to the value of Harvey wanting to proceed with this behavioral goal. Number six. Competing commitments. Now, you made a commitment, whatever it might be, and Harvey's made his commitment for a more inclusive style of uh, management. Uh, uh, these typically are uh, tendencies, priorities, and preferences stemming from one's core and current mental models. They sometimes get in the way of, of wanting, getting in the way of what we want to do with our behavioral change. Now, Harvey thinks about this, and there's two competing commitments he comes up with. One is, and this all ties back to all the things we discussed in this first area of emphasis. One is that his natural core is leadership style is one of being highly directive. That's just being him. That's his natural behavioral core style, directive. Another one is comes from his mental models and that he's carrying around currently a mental model that says, gee whiz, as a boss, you've got to have the answers. Uh, this comes from uh, several bosses Harvey worked with, and uh, he picked up with that uh, assumption uh, from them. And uh, to to not be in charge and have the answers and so forth could be perceived as a sign of weakness. So those are two pretty strong competing uh, commitments that uh, Harvey's carrying around, and he's got to uh, uh, deal with that, uh, change his way of thinking and, and, and his behavior. So both a practice and a, uh, uh, a change in his mental model. So what he needs to do is to change his assumptions as to what constitutes effective leadership, uh, a, a leader behavior, uh, leader management behavior and use adaptive versus, we talked about this last episode, use adaptive versus natural behavior in working with his staff. So we've got to change the way he thinks about it and change the way he goes about it. Uh, and hopefully, as he begins to get some results, uh, he, um, it makes the, it facilitates this, this shift for Harvey from going from a highly directed form of, of, uh, direction, uh, management uh, to a more, uh, consultative, uh, consultative, collaborative and delegative form. Okay, number seven of the nine, competency. Are there any additional knowledge or skills you need to achieve the behavioral change goal that you have? And making behavioral change, most of the time, does not a matter, at least this has been certainly my experience, and I, I bet yours, it's not a matter of possessing the needed competency, the, the can-dos. It's more of a matter of the commitment, the, the will-dos. Uh, now, there may be exceptions to that, but, you know, uh, in Harvey's particular case, 
He doesn't think that there's any additional knowledge or skills he needed. He he knows he can do it. He can be more collaborative and delegative uh, if he puts his mind to it and uh, really wants to make this shift as opportunities present themselves. So the, now we get down to the, the brass tacks here. We get uh, number eight of the nine steps, implementation plan. That's going to be a little bit different for you. I'm going to give you something that thinks going to be unique here. Based on uh, uh, the analysis, what is an effective implementation you have to accomplish the uh, behavioral change goal that you have? Uh, what are the implementation guidelines and steps? So in terms of self-coaching, and I, I titled this self-coaching, making behavioral change, uh, there are two um, unique things here that uh, I think will be unique to you and very, very valuable in making this kind of change, behavioral change. One is deliberate practices uh, you will follow to help you make the uh, behavioral transition. Deliberate practices things you're going to do. Again, we're talking about change here that requires more than just a good intention or the will to change. Sometimes that's all it takes, okay? I'm just going to start doing this tomorrow and bingo, there you go. Great for you. But sometimes it takes a lot more than that, especially as these uh, natural kind of behaviors uh, are are perhaps competing uh, commitments and then you have some mental models that need to be revised, your assumptions about what is. So uh, one part of self-coaching is deliberate practices. And the second related part is to have self-observation questions related to the practices. You know, how will I know? Uh, and, and very, very valuable and requires some thought about this. And we we'll use Harvey as an example in a second. Well, so what is a deliberate practice versus just any old practice? Deliberate practice is recurring behavior, recurring behavior with a specific uh, specific standard or concept in mind. Recurring behavior with a specific standard or concept in mind. Now, in Harvey's case, it's, you know, making this shift and be more participative, consultative uh, with his with his group. That's the deliberate practice. The self-observation is questions I will ask myself to gauge my progress. Uh, how am I doing uh, in accordance with this goal here? So let's let's give a, a get a metaphor going here. Let's pick golf. You know, uh, I'm a struggling golfer, just like maybe many of you are, <laughs> or maybe some of you are really good. That's great. I started late, so you know, I needed all the practice I could get and so forth. But the difference here, to use golf again as a metaphor, deliberate practice is not just going on hacking away at the ball. And even if you're not a golfer, you can appreciate this metaphor. You know, you can have a hundred balls or a thousand balls and whack away and so forth. If anything, sometimes it makes you worse as you groove bad habits. Okay. You get uh, your uh, motor memory started in the wrong way. So deliberate practice is to have a, a goal there, a standard in mind, a norm in mind. So you're going to be using the different clubs in the bag and, and concentrating on your take back and your impact and your follow through and uh, you, uh, trying to put spin on the ball to uh, uh, shape the shot, maybe left or right and, or, or do chips and pitches and all of that. That's deliberate practice. And you have a golf range there, which is a great feedback device. Uh, how the, How's it going? How many yards you're getting? And is the ball doing what you want it to do? Is it spinning the way you want it to spin? That's the self-observation part. So there's a great uh, metaphor here of a golf swing that you really concentrate on parts of your game and then you're getting feedback, your self-observation because of the range. Now we don't have that, you know, most times we don't have a 
uh, feedback range and you're making behavior change like a golf course range and you don't have the clubs and the balls and everything like that. So we have to be a little bit innovative here. And that's what we're going to uh, talk about now as we look at Harvey. So Harvey, uh, as he looks at his uh, implementation guidelines and steps first and gets to the relevant practices and self-observation, in terms of uh, implementation guidelines and steps, he, he thinks it's, it's wise to share this goal and rationale with his staff. Tell him what he wants to do. Now, it requires a little bit of uh, of uh, courage there, that sort of thing. And uh, he opens himself up a little bit, but that's what leadership is all about and, and the courage to, to make change and then benefit from it. So he wants to share it with his goal and maybe they can, with his staff, and maybe they can help him. He also wants to know some of the hopes and concerns they may have about him trying to make this shift, okay? Uh, and again, vulnerability is not a bad thing. Vulnerability is, again, the road to courage, which is, again, the road to innovation and change and productivity. So he's going to be a little bit vulnerable, but he's, he's okay with that and he can handle that. Another implementation guideline is to uh, uh, only uh, collaborate and delegate when he's assured that his the affected people or the group as a whole or individuals have the task or responsibility maturity, that is the competence and motivation to be successful. We've talked about that in our previous episodes. Very, very important concept for you as a leader about uh, maturity, task, responsibility, maturity. Are they ready? If not, uh, performance coaching or training is in order. Again, that's maturity is competence and motivation. And the last uh, thought Harvey has here is provide coaching when necessary, performance coaching to individuals or the group. So now he thinks about it and, uh, you know, he can't snap his fingers and this goes into his next staff meeting and it's just going to happen. So he's got to uh, engage in some practices and then related self-observation. So as he thinks about it, he decides over the next couple of months, Harvey does, He's going to keep a record of the times he's gone away from his directive natural style and involved the group a little bit more in problem solving, decision making and planning a more collaborative or delegative leadership uh, manager behavior. Uh, and as he does make these little recordings after the meeting, after each of these meetings or individual uh, uh, interactions he had with his staff, he's going to make note of any hopes or concerns he had when uh, going into this more collaborative style, he's going to make note of any discussion of desired results when doing so with the group or with individuals. He wants to also make note of discussion regarding the what's and the how's in making any uh, delegations. We talked about that in a, a recent uh, episode about the art of delegation and any coaching he did. Okay, so he wants to make note hopes and concerns, discussions he's had about desired results the what's in the house and making decisions and uh, coaching. Uh, now, self-observation, so he'll make these notes and uh, stick them in a file, follow-up file. And uh, self-observation is that uh, he'll put it in the file, and then uh, as appropriate data science to it, he's going to take a look at this as time goes by and see what the results have been. And the questions he wants to ask himself as he self-observes are several. Number one, what are, what has been the results of this collaborative delegated style versus what I normally might have done? Uh, what staff learning or growth uh, do I perceive has gone on because of the more inclusive nature of the way I've interacted with my staff? 
what might I have done differently with this particular engagement um, that he pulls from the file? And what have I learned from this? So those are his self-observation questions he's going to ask. And he has a staff meeting every every week. And so he's going to have several of these notations and so forth. He may not need the whole two months, you know, and he might find it's working so well that he's able to make this shift uh, fairly easily. Maybe not. Maybe he needs to keep sticking it out with these practices and self-observation. So that's what you want to do when you get to the point where you think that uh, it's part of your habitual you now. There's almost your, we talked about in the earlier episode of self uh, your subconscious you versus your conscious you, then, you know, you, you have this adaptive behaviors kicked in for Harvey and his mental models have been, uh, assumptions have been revised. So he doesn't need to think too much about it, but it's important as you try to make these shifts to carve out practices, deliberate practices and related self-observation um, pieces so that you can gauge this progress. Otherwise it's just, again, a, hoping that it'll happen, okay? And again, it'd be nice if we had these golf ranges so you could hit the balls and see what happens, but it's not all that easy. But it's fun and challenging, and you'll be you'll be quite pleased, I'm sure, if you really apply yourself to this. So let's talk about the final, the, the ninth step here, measuring progress. Here is another maybe a surprise for you uh, in this particular uh, process, is I recommend you measure your progress when making behavioral shifts by looking backwards instead of forward. What? Yeah. And especially uh, for us leaders, because, you know, we're used to uh, of, uh, moving forward, uh, setting ambitious goals, uh, envisioning the future, the desired future state, engaging our progress with usually our heavy achievement motivations towards uh, going that way. But in measuring behavioral change, it leads, I, I think, and some other people do too, that uh, getting frustrated. Uh, so uh, I think it's especially valuable for, for us as leaders. So uh, we want to celebrate and uh, identify our, our gains rather than getting frustrated and possibly give up focusing on the gaps that exist between where I'm at now and this long distance I still need to go. Um, but gee whiz, if I look back, Gee was after the next several meetings Harvey's had, he said, hey, I, I'm kind of liking what's happening here. So think about that, okay, when you're making the behavioral change, not when you're, you know, managing your organization, but that's 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 important too. You want to look forward, but maybe look back too. But for behavioral change, I, I recommend this to you. All right, again, you can just continue consciously working on whatever behavior change you're making when it becomes part of the habitual you and you made the necessary shifts, and then get on with something else. All right. Quite a process here. I think it's very, very sound. If you have a meeting application, go for it. If not, you can go back to the uh, my site and pick up uh, on uh, this particular episode when the uh, need uh, is, is appropriate for you, and uh, and then get with it. Um, so keep this definitely in mind. It's a dynamite process. Again, thanks for the years, and uh, we'll see you next time. As we start a new uh, area of emphasis, we're going to move from the uh, skillful, self-aware you as a leader to uh, um, architecting and implementing a sound strategy. Very, very uh, important piece. Okay, you take care of yourself, and we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.